Welcome to GradCast, GradCast, which is the official podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I am one of your hosts tonight, Susan Anthony, back out from behind the scenes and in, into the studio right now, and with me, my co-host, Yimin Jen. Hello, Susan. Hello. It's nice to see you on this side of the microphone. I know. It's, it's, it's quite nice. It's, it's been a while, and I'm really excited to be here today because we're going to talk to a friend of mine, uh, Kate Mathers. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here tonight. Awesome. I'm really thrilled to have you because I've always found what you study quite cool, and um, I'm just really excited to, for everyone else to hear about it. Um, just in brief, like, what, what, what do you study? So I guess it was a bit of a pun when you said that my research was cool because what I study is hibernation uh, in a small hibernating rodent called the 13-line ground squirrel. And what my research focuses on is the cellular mechanisms that regulate metabolic suppression as animals hibernate. That's so cool. So um, I, I'm hoping we'll be able to post a photo of these critters because they're pretty cute. But this really brings up a question. What is hibernation? Right, so hibernation is not sleep at all. Um, ah, what hibernation really means... Oh, <laughs> that's okay. I think a lot of people think that it's sleep, but animals don't actually sleep much Wait, at all. Wait, what? They're... Animals don't actually sleep? While they're hibernating. Okay. You interrupted <laughs> Yemen. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Okay, so what hibernation really is, is the seasonal period where an animal reduces its metabolic rate and its body temperature. So most endothermic animals, which humans are included in that, they regulate their body temperatures to be the same all the time. So that's why our body temperatures are always around 37 degrees unless we have a fever. When animals hibernate, their body temperatures actually drop down in some species as low as five degrees and other species they can actually be below freezing. Oh, wow. And they don't freeze? No. So in the Arctic ground squirrel, when they hibernate, their body temperatures actually go to about minus two degrees Celsius. They're alive the whole time. Um, but their blood doesn't freeze. Okay, so how do they prevent themselves from becoming like a ground squirrel popsicle? Uh, It seems like they've got some sort of chemicals in their blood that prevent it from freezing, kind of like how windshield wiper fluid or a bottle of vodka doesn't freeze when you put it in the freezer. Ah, okay, I I can visualize that. So it's like antifreeze. Yeah, something something like that is in the blood. It's preventing it from freezing. Very cool. So yeah, you're saying that, so the endotherms, that's like, the animals that keep their body temperature, um, they. But I always thought that if you keep your body temperature one way, you can't survive when it changes temperature. Like, yeah, absolutely, and that's what's so fascinating about hibernators is that they're able to survive with these really low body temperatures. And what seems to be key for for that whole process is that their metabolic rate decreases actually before the body temperature does. Okay, so you talk metabolic, right? So what what is metabolism? Well, I guess when we refer to metabolism, what we're really talking about is the sum of all the chemical reactions in your body that produce or consume energy. So when animals hibernate, they decrease the amount of energy that they're consuming and they decrease the amount of energy that they're producing. And that allows them to save energy in the winter. 
So a lot of the animals that hibernate tend to be ones that maybe have a hard time finding food in the winter. So energy is limited and hibernation is a strategy that lets them survive because they're expending less energy in total over the winter. Okay, so for these animals, is it basically a process where they're like, winter kind of sucks and is lame, let's just skip it? Absolutely. It, it would take way more energy to stay active, keep your body temperature high at 37 degrees than it would be to just lower your metabolism, lower your temperature, and just hide out at 5 degrees for the whole winter. But what's interesting is all animals that hibernate... Um, they decrease their body temperature, but it doesn't just stay low for the whole season. They go into these periods called torpor. So in the animal that I study, their body temperature is at 5 degrees, and these bouts of torpor last for about two weeks. And every two weeks, they're interrupted by these spontaneous, we call them arousals, where their body temperature rises back to 37 degrees, and their metabolic rate is exactly what it would be in the summer. So they, it's like, well, we use the analogy of hibernation as being asleep. It's like they wake up. Well, what's really interesting is when they warm up, they actually go in. It's some of the only sleep that they get for the whole hibernation season. So, so when they're in when they're in torpor, their brain activity it's not really doing much. But when they're when they're warmed up into these periods, we call them interbout euthermia or IBE. When they're in IBE, they go into slow wave sleep. So they they warm up just to sleep. That's one of the reasons that we think they might do it. We actually still don't know, and a lot of research is being done right now to try and figure out what the adaptive benefits are to warming up. So y- you talked about this state of torpor. Like, what, what is that if not sleep, if not some sort of like, is it some sort of un- unconscious state where they just kind of stop doing anything? Pretty much. I mean, when they're in torpor, their metabolism is about 5% mm-hmm. of what it would be when you're oh, normally wow. active. Their body temperature is 5 degrees compared to a 37. Their heart rate slows down tremendously. So when they're active, their heart rate's about 300 beats per minute. When they're in torpor, it's about 3 to 4 beats per minute. So they're barely doing anything. And, yeah, it's just this period of inactivity. There's not really much going on in the brain either. And how how do these animals, like, achieve this state? Is it like, you know, meditation or something (laughs) along those lines? Well, that's one of the things that I've been investigating in my thesis is what actually regulates that. So what's interesting is when they go into torpor and when they come out of torpor, it seems to be spontaneous. And we're not really sure what regulates it. We're not really sure what what is the cue in the cell that says, okay, change your metabolism, change your heart rate, go into this state or come out of it. So you say spontaneously. So does that mean unlike, like it's not a regular pattern? Um, it is a regular pattern to the point where we can predict it within a couple of hours, but we still can't tell that an animal is right about to go into torpor or right about to come out of it. Does the animal know or is like a squirrel just <laughs> jumping around and then like mid-bounce it just flops over? It does take a bit of time for them to cool down. It okay. does take a couple hours for them to cool down and right, warm okay. up. So it would probably slow down a little bit and start cooling down, curl up into a ball and then... You're, going think, to torpor. you're thinking about the fainting goats, aren't you? I'm a little bit thinking about yeah, the fainting goats. Mostly it's just an yeah. amusing image. Yeah. I wish that's what I studied. <laughs> so they sort of, you know, get sleepy, as it were, and, and make their way to, like, their den or something. Yeah. And then that's where they go into their hibernation phase. Absolutely. And so in, in the species that I'm looking at, they hibernate in burrows. Mm-hmm. And they oh. curl up in a ball in a little nest. And it's very cute. That Can you tell cute. us? Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about these uh, cute little creatures that you study? Sure. So so they're called 13-line ground squirrels. They 
They actually look like little chipmunks. They're about the size of the chipmunks that we have out here. Okay. Uh, they're not native to Ontario, though. So we actually find them a lot in Manitoba. And so to study them, we actually go on road trips out to Manitoba about once a year. We Can collect go, them in the field. I was going to say, do you, do you hang out in the burrows all winter and that's where you do all your work? Or? Uh, we actually catch them in the summer when they're active because they're a bit easier to find when you can see them mm. above oh. ground. Yeah. Rather um, than like having to dig them up. Yeah, that'd yeah. be pretty difficult, <laughs> I imagine. Uh, but yeah, we, we drive around a farm field in a big white van and wait till we spot little squirrel heads, uh, chase them down to their holes, and then set traps. And we catch them pretty easily. So you you, you have like a, a van full of squirrels heading back to Ontario. We do. It's it's a fun trip. That must be fun. It must be so cute. <laughs> so or stinky, many, I don't know. Yeah, how many squirrels do you normally um, acquire on some of these trips? Uh, usually about 30. Okay. That's cool. That's not too noisy in the van. It's pretty squeaky, but oh. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Drive them out with podcasts. <laughs> that's awesome, like ours, of course, Gregcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, going back to what we were talking about with the torpor and the, the cycles. How often are these arousals? You call them right. So the arousals happen about every two weeks, and they last for eight to twelve hours, oh, and then okay. the animals will go back into torpor, and so. We actually track their body temperatures throughout the hibernation season so we can see what each squirrel's body temperature is. So that was, I was going to ask you, how do you know when to look at them and when to go check on them? And Yeah, so we put little temperature transmitters into their bodies surgically, uh, and then we're able to monitor their temperatures continuously through the whole hibernation season so we can see what point of the cycle that they're at. That's so cool. Yeah. App on your phone for that? I Yeah, I use a remote desktop monitor, so I don't have to be in all the time, but sometimes, so I'm studying the animals when they're in torpor, when they're in the middle of a bout of IBE, and sometimes that bout of IBE happens at two in the morning, so that's when I have to be at the lab. Ah, so that, that brings up another thing about uh, when, you, when you study animals uh, and their natural cycles, uh, as we talked with someone who studies bats, you have to accommodate their cycles. Absolutely. <laughs> It's led to some interesting hours over the winter. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, I guess, yeah, it would just happen over the winter. Yeah, right? yeah. We have this sampling season from about January until early March. And our schedule is just whatever the squirrel schedules are at that point. <laughs> you live on squirrel time. Right. <laughs> so when you uh, take samples from these animals, what are you looking at? So we're looking at different tissues and what's happening in the different tissues. And we're mainly looking at what is different between these two states to try and find out how things are regulated. So if we find that certain proteins are present in one state or, or the other one, um, we know that those proteins might be important. If we know that there's modifications to those proteins or they're functioning differently, those also might be important in the changes that happen between those states. Cool. So proteins um, are used to as a communication, as, a, as structural molecules are important in the cell, right? So uh, you mentioned metabolism and proteins. Is there a particular area you look at? Absolutely. Um, so my lab is primarily interested in what's happening in the mitochondria. Uh, a lot of people probably remember the mitochondria from high school biology classes. No, it's the, I uh, didn't, the, I didn't the powerhouse that. of the cell, uh, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Sure, that's correct. Uh, we think it's a little bit more complex than that. But so the mitochondria is where most of the energy in the cell is produced. So it's... There's a, the sequence of proteins within the mitochondria that produce ATP, which is the form of cellular energy. 
where my research is primarily interested in those proteins and how energy production happens in the mitochondria in mostly the liver tissue of the squirrel. Okay, cool. So, um, sorry, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit there. So when you say energy, like that's what allows me to move? Yes. I guess? Okay. Absolutely. So for all cellular processes, you need energy in the form of ATP. Oh, cool. So it's sort of like a the monetary system. Yes, like the currency of the of the cell. Ah. So what is it about the um, the liver cells and the liver tissue that drives you to study that part of the animal? That's that's an interesting question. Um, liver is a pretty metabolically important organ, so it contributes a lot to the total metabolism um, mm-hmm. when it doesn't actually weigh that much. Cool. But I think the main reason is that we've looked at several different tissues, like we've looked at muscle, heart, and brain, and liver, and we see the greatest suppression of metabolism within mitochondria in the liver. So I'm kind of using liver mitochondria as a model to see what might be happening in other tissues because we see this phenomenon to the greatest degree. Oh, so it's easier to detect. But yes. It, it, it responds like other things do. For sure. And so you're, are you seen on, like, on, on a cellular level, on a very small, small molecule level, are you actually seeing a difference between... Uh, squirrels that are in torpor and those that are in the uh, I, IBE. 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 Yeah. yeah. I almost was going to say IBS, but no, IBE. <laughs> Got it. A little different. <laughs> a little different. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there is a pretty big difference between those two states. So what we do is we, if we've got some liver tissue, we can actually isolate just the mitochondria oh. and focus on what's happening just in the mitochondria. Um, you can supply the mitochondria with different fuels and measure how much oxygen they're consuming. And the oxygen consumption is kind of a proxy for the total metabolism that's happening in them. Okay. And so when we look at oxygen consumption in just the mitochondria from animals that are in torpor versus IBE, the metabolic rate in the mitochondria is about 70% suppressed in torpor compared to IBE. Oh, so you see that lead, it's not using as much oxygen, mm-hmm. which it needs to make energy. Exactly. So something is suppressed at the level of the mitochondria Ooh. that's slow and that's probably contributing to the total metabolic suppression that we see. So it's not like the cell itself is having trouble. It's like the things in the cell are slowing down. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It's so, cool that you can just isolate the one thing. Sorry. Yeah. Are you looking at what it is that's causing the suppression? Yes. So that's... That's mostly what my thesis is focused on. When I started in the lab, we knew that liver mitochondria were suppressed by 70%, and my thesis was focusing on investigating why, what Mm -hmm. is causing that 70% suppression. So what is it? Some sort of protein? (laughs) Why, yes, it is. Um, (laughs) So I mentioned before that in the mitochondria, you've got a sequence of proteins that kind of band together. They work kind of like an assembly line to produce ATP, which is the cellular Mm -hmm. currency. Um, I've been looking at the activity of each of those proteins and found two, the first two in the chain um, are actually individually suppressed. So when we look at just the activities of the one enzymes by themselves, it seems like those complexes one and two are suppressed in torpor relative to IBE and the other ones aren't affected. So the, the, the ones further down the chain, if you will, uh, don't have to be changed because the first two are changed. And if they're slower than everything else exactly downstream of it or slower absolutely so cascade effects exactly so if you can stop the substrates from getting in at the beginning then nothing downwards functions so this kind of maybe it's a really technical question is why are the first two why are both the first and second rather than 
uh, just the first step. It's it's a little a bit of technical explanation, but uh, the answer is that different substrates can enter that system from the different enzymes. So it depends where what kind of fuel is oh. being burned. So like if you're fueled on M&Ms, like we're talking, <laughs> it may start in chain level one. And if you're starting on Doritos, you start on the second one. Sure. Okay. I well, just so assume that's what squirrels eat. Yeah, right? that, I was going to say, um, for hibernation, usually animals put on a lot of pounds, right? And, mm-hmm. and M&Ms and Doritos, I suppose, are a good way to do that. Very prevalent in the field as well. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. So. so like natural Dorito yeah. plants, mm. I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I mean, speaking of humans, is there any chance that humans, after consuming you know, a large num- amount of Doritos and uh, M&Ms, is it possible for us to go into some sort of torpor hibernation state? So that's one of the interesting applications for this research. And a lot of hibernation research is going on right now to try and be able to induce a state of hibernation or torpor in a species that doesn't do it naturally, so like humans. Um, right now, I don't think we're anywhere close to it, but the basic research into the mechanisms of it, I think, is really important before we can get close to it. We need to understand how it's actually regulated. So research that's looking at what proteins are different, how are they suppressed, is going to be really important before we can figure out what pathways we might want to target before we can induce it in humans. But it's thought that inducing a state of hibernation or, tor- or torpor in humans might be important for space travel, which is oh, kind of interesting. I was just going to say I could I could skip, like, the winter in, in southern Ontario, but that's cool. Space exploration. Yeah, like an alien just going to the hibernation chamber, well, wake up and be at your destination. Very cool. So I guess related to that, do... Do animals or organisms, do they age while they're undergoing torpor? Because, I mean, that's sort of a, a thing in these science fiction movies, right? That's a really interesting question. Um, so there is some research that some of the processes that contribute to aging slow down while animals are in hibernation. So if you've heard about um, telomere shortening, right? I'm not sure if you guys... Yeah, from what I remember, it means like every time your cells replicate, which they're always doing, they get shorter. Your, 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 your DNA, DNA gets shorter. Yeah, your DNA gets shorter and shorter and shorter, and that affects your ability to um, to produce new molecules in your body. So if you could slow down how many times your cells are replaced, I guess you wouldn't keep shortening. Well, one of the things that I've read actually suggested that um, – during hibernation, I forget what animal it was. I think it might have been in a mouse. The telomeres actually got longer, which is the what? opposite of what normally happens. Cool. So, so it's younger. That, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that hibernation might actually have a benefit for aging. And then one of the other aging theories is that aging is a result of damage of reactive oxygen species, which is this really reactive byproduct of normal cellular metabolism. And I think there's there's evidence that there's increases in reactive oxygen species during different points of the hibernation cycle, but overall, if your metabolism is suppressed, you're producing less of it. Oh, so it's a byproduct of just being alive. Yeah. So, yes, I guess that's um, what what I wanted to know, because we talked about humans, we talked about squirrels. um, What animals do hibernate? So one of the current definitions actually restricts hibernation to endotherms, which are 
animals like mammals that regulate their body temperature. So you hear about hibernation in insects and in, in things like lizards, but what those animals do isn't technically hibernation. Uh, because they don't regulate their body temperature, they're not doing a regulated suppression of it. When their body temperature decreases and they become inactive, that's usually just a result of them moving into a colder area. Whereas animals that regulate their body temperature, like humans and mice and ground squirrels, um, if they were to go into a hibernation, it would be this regulated suppression where they suppress their metabolism and then the body temperature decreases. So okay. for mammals, it's because they're doing it on purpose. That's what makes it hibernation. Absolutely. Rather than just responding to the outside environment. Mm -hmm. Cool. So like, uh, I'm surprised that these ground squirrels hibernate, but do other animals around the world hibernate? Like, Bears do hibernate, yeah. Yeah. Um, Lions, tigers, alive? Yeah. Those ones don't, no. Okay. But so lots, of, lots of different animals hibernate, um, lots of different mammals, including there's even a primate that hibernates. Whoa, really? Yeah, the Madagascan dwarf-tailed lemur. I think it's one of the only primates that hibernates, but it does. Oh, well, that's cool. That's Indeed. primates. That's like us, right? Absolutely. <sighs> so uh, the, the thought is that whatever mechanism hibernators have that lets them reduce their metabolism and their body temperature it might be common to all mammals. So... It might be possible if we figure out how it's regulated, it might be possible to induce it. Oh, that's cool. It's, it's neat to know that our close relative can do this. It gives us hope that we can one day hibernate <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> that, that's the goal, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So is hibernation like a specifically a cold weather sort of adaptation? Are there any animals in you know warmer or more temperate climates that do it as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's an animal called a tenrec that actually hibernates when temperatures are pretty warm. Um, its body temperature only actually decreases to about 22 degrees. So animals that hibernate in different climates usually adjust their body temperatures to different temperatures. And animals can hibernate in response to lower food availability and uh, sometimes lower water availability as well. Okay, that, that makes sense. You know, you're just trying to wait out till it's a better time mm -hmm. comes along. Anything that can make energy expenditure a challenge. Yeah. So um, one thing I want to get to as we're going into the last minutes of our discussion with you is um, I know that you are approaching your defense. So Hooray. yay, <laughs> it is possible. That's It's so exciting for you. Um, but it, now that you're near the end or near the close of this uh, chapter, how, what do you think about your, your story? Like how did you get here at Western and how did your – your research start what inspired you to do what you're doing as your research so i actually uh, I found out about western because my current supervisor came and did a seminar at the university where i was doing my master's at queens and i thought his seminar was really interesting he was talking about hibernating animals going into torpor and going into ibe and how we didn't understand the mechanisms that regulated those metabolic states uh, we went out for beers after his talk. And as you I, do. As you do. Um, I asked him some questions, and he said, those don't have answers, but it sounds like a good PhD project. Oh, so wow. So I you... came to London to answer them. <laughs> that, those must have been some pretty good questions. So <laughs> that's stay curious is a, mm -hmm. a good way to get where you're going. And how how did your project, did it, it go how you thought it might, and did it, things work out? Things Any actually... follies? Well, I mean, there's always follies, but things actually worked out as good as I could have hoped. Um, 
my project progressed in a pretty linear way where I found a result and then formed the next question, answered that, had another hypothesis and answered the next question. And then overall, I'm pretty happy with the story that my thesis tells. Well, that's great because when a lot of people think about uh, science, it's nice to know that you build upon something. And um, so um, if anyone else is interested in learning more about your lab and what they do or maybe uh, getting in contact with your supervisor, um, what's a good, what, do you have a website for your lab or anything? If you Google Staples Lab, UWO, you'll be able to find our website and there's um, an overview of our current research and our current students if you want to get in contact with me or if you have any questions about the lab, feel free to email me. Great. And that's Dr. James Staples? Dr. James Staples, yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Kate. It was so great to have you here today and tell us about your research, especially how you have a nice story and you got a good conclusion to it. So uh, this has been Kate Mathers uh, and our ho- your hosts today are Susan Anthony and Yimin Chen. Signing and, off. Yeah, signing off. I'm uh, just going to say that this is GradCast and uh, you can catch us on CHRW at 6 p.m. every Tuesday night. We are official production of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. If you can't catch us on CHRW, please feel free to check out our podcast. We are available through Google Play, iTunes, all those general places, and you can stream and download our episodes online at gradcast.ca. Now, if you are interested in us, we are um, a great committee at SOGS, and if you'd like to join us or if you'd like to be interviewed yourself as part of GradCast, please feel free to email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Stay frosty.